there's only 600. The second most highly documented ancient uh, document of the ancient world of that time is the Iliad and the Odyssey, of which there are only 600 handwritten copies. So here we know that the story of the New Testament of Jesus and his resurrection was the most highly documented, the most highly written about uh, of any activity, anything, any written uh, document that there was at that time. So uh, it's exciting to know that the God that we serve has given us much evidence. The atheists will say, yes, you can't prove that there's a God, and, and the believers say, you can't prove there's not a God. But let me tell you something we have on our side. We've got way more evidence that there is a God than there isn't. Amen. Amen. Way more. We've got the resurrection. We've got the documentation. We've got creation. It says creation testifies that there's a God in Romans 1. I mean, you, you can get in, into it with the atheists, and I have before, and, and you know they still can't explain the origin of matter, energy, and design. They can't explain that. Uh, Richard Dawkins, who's kind of like the Billy Graham of atheists, when confronted and was pressed and pressed and pressed and, and pushed back and said, you know, the, the guy that was confronting him was saying, yes, and where does, uh, where does this all come from? And, of course, he goes off into his you know, Darwinian explanation, and then he says, and yes, and where does all the gases come from? And, and where did all the you know, ignition come from? And where did all the energy come from? And, and where did the design and the matter come from? Because, yeah, if you believe in the Big Bang, you've got to believe in some precursors. And the precursors are there has to be something that ignited that. And then when it blew up, there had to be something that turned it into a design that is unlike anything else uh, that we can imagine. And then there had to be matter and, and all these things. And he kept pressing him and pressing him. And, and finally, he, he says, yeah, he says, that's a philosophical question. And he says, yeah, but it's still a question. You know, like, why don't you answer it? Mr. You know, high-minded intellectual, pseudo-intellectual, may I say. And uh, he, he finally said, well, you know, there has to be some type of a higher force. Of course, you don't believe in God. You're describing God, but you don't believe in that, you big hypocrite. And finally, they got him to say, well, he believed in aliens. And I thought, and you think we're crazy for believing in God. And, and, and you've got the Martian theory. I'm sorry, I'll stay with the Jesus theory. And, and, and so basically he described, you know, being superior beings from someplace else that are more transcendent. Than, and I thought, well, you're describing God, Richard. Mr. Dawkins, you're describing God, Mr. Atheist. You're saying you believe, but you just don't want to call him God. The Bible says, and we'll celebrate it on April 1st, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's a day designed just for fools. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, April Fool's Day. And I thought, you know, that's very foolish. That's a very foolish way of thinking. And, I, you know, I am so thankful that, you know, there is no other uh, book like the Bible. You know, you've got, oh my goodness, you've got 66 books written hundreds of years apart uh, all over, you know, the ancient Eastern world and by different authors and very educated, very uneducated and everything in between. And unbeknownst, you know, how many of you know, they, they didn't have social media back then. So they couldn't Twitter it. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't, you know, put, put it on, on an email. They, they, they couldn't, you know, text it. And they, they couldn't coordinate this. But they all came up describing the same Messiah who fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of their prophecies. How do you orchestrate that? See, then you got these other copycat, cheap, vanity religions that want to, you know, that kind of have their holy guy and, of course, he declares he's, he's the Messiah. You know, unlike Jesus, where he didn't have to declare himself the Messiah, 
many, many people, hundreds of years before, unbeknownst to each other, wrote about him, described him, the things he would do, the things he would fulfill, and all the amazing things of his lineage. And he would do that. He didn't have to have Sam say, it's me, everybody, it's me. It was already obvious when 300 prophecies are fulfilled that he's somebody very special. It's very obvious that the Bible is unlike any other book, that it comes together through the prophetic record, and it describes this Messiah by people unbeknownst to one another. Jesus, unlike any other, who raises from the dead, who raises others from the dead, who heals the sick, who does miracles, walks on waters, and does all these different things. He's unlike all the rest. And more than that, they said, no one has ever spoken like him. And more than that, is he comes with grace and mercy instead of, well, you got to be good enough. You know, all other religions are based on how good you can make yourself to become good enough. I got news for you folks, you'll never be good enough. And that's not a negative message, and we're going to talk about that today. We will never be good enough in and of ourselves unless you want some cheap, half-price, nickel, uh, dime store God that doesn't require much. Our God is a perfect God. He's an amazing God. He created this universe, and he has very high standards. And when we sin, we, we don't measure up, but someone came for us on our behalf who did measure up on our behalf. And it's a, it's, a, it's a mercy message. It's a message of grace. It's a message of God's love. It's different than all other religions. You know, some religions are really just governmental. Some religions are about hate. So, some religions are, are all about, you know, not how many people you can save and bring life to, but how many people you can kill. How many of you know there's religions like that today? I, I, I'm glad I'm in this, in this faith instead of that, that religion. And really, what we believe in isn't even a religion. It's a faith. It's a trust. It's a relationship. It's a powerful thing. So today I want to talk to you about, you know, which is the pinnacle of our faith, which is really Easter. And Easter's threefold story is what I want to share with you today. And I want to talk to you about uh, just the, the amazing, wonderful uh, plan of redemption that our God has provided for us. Let's bow our head. Let's pray before we get into the message. And let's just go before him. F- Father, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection, which is the culminating act and verification of our salvation. And so, Father, we thank you today. Give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, to speak as your oracle, not as our own self with our opinions, but your word. And, Father, we pray today that people here would have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a will to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so, Father, we ask that we would be transformed and changed by the renewing of our mind, by the scriptures speaking to us and being illuminated by your spirit, and bringing transformation in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, really, the resurrection of Christ is a meaningless concept until you know why he needed to die for us. It's really meaningless. We can never really appreciate our salvation until we understand our utter wickedness and his sacrifice for it. One person said that you'll only understand the greatness of our salvation when you understand the greatness of your sin. You'll never understand the greatness of the sacrifice until you understand the greatness of our, of our inherent depravity and wickedness. And you say, well, I'm not that wicked. I've never killed anybody. I, I'm not really a bad person. Well, given the right set of circumstances, the Bible says in our flesh is all kinds of things, murder and hatred and, and, and all kinds of things, that if we give in to our flesh, we're capable of doing anything that you see out there in the world happening that's really terrible. And the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're murdered. The Bible says if you lust after a woman, you've, you've committed adultery. God holds us to a very high standard. And I believe this, that we, we have to recognize our sinfulness first and foremost 
before we can understand his great uh, mercifulness and graciousness. And so I want to just talk about three, three basic concepts. And I want to uh, look at what's, what's going on kind of in the world. And, and, and the world really testifies to what the Bible says is true, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, what, and you know, you might say, well, what is wrong with mankind anyway? Why do we act so crazy anymore? Anybody notice that? Anybody watch the news today? It's like the, God, the world has gone crazy. There's violence on every hand. And what's wrong with mankind? Hate for others, wars, ISIS, violence. And what's really sick is it's celebrated in some circles. Hatred of others. Then there's hatred of self. Suicide, depression, addiction, self-mutilation. My gosh, men hate themselves. It's, It's like... There's a hatred of others because there's really, there's a hatred of self. And there's a hatred of self really because there's a hatred of God. Those three go together. And there's really a connectedness and a dynamic to those three things. The hatred of God is this, this rebellion, this arrogance, this blasphemy that you see today. People hate others because they hate themselves. Because I know because God says love others as you love yourself. And you will love others to the degree that you love yourself but you'll also hate others to the degree that you hate yourself. And you'll hate yourself to the degree that you hate God. And you'll love yourself to the degree that you love God. Those things are directly connected. And you can't run from it. It's truth. It's reality. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really uh, one of those things that, uh, you know, it's just, it's in the scriptures. It, 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 you can see it every day. People with low self-love, that they have a hard time loving others. And they have that low self-love because they don't think God really loves them. And because of that, many wicked things uh, come as a result of that. Let me give you three basic components to understanding the resurrection of Christ. And number one, we were ruined by the fall. We've got to, we've got to understand, number one, that we were created unlike we look today. But we were ruined by something. We were ruined by the fall. And, and you know, what, what is wrong with us? What, what's going on? I want to turn this morning to a lot of different scriptures. We're, we're probably really going to use our Bible a lot today because I really want to go through and show you some things in the scriptures. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Second Peter. And if not, just listen along. And if, if you don't have your Bible or if you uh, just want to sit back and, and relax, uh, then just listen. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I'm not sure if I said Timothy or Peter. But Second Timothy... And we're going to read some things about the days that we're living in. Tell me if this is not true and bears witness with you. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men will be lovers of their own selves. Is there there any narcissism running around these days? I think there's even some of it running for high offices in the land. You know, I just can't believe the level of narcissism that we see in our culture today. You know, it's a magazine called Self. I tell you, men will be lovers of their own self, it says. And then it says covetous. That's wanting everything. Wanting your stuff, their stuff, and everybody else's stuff. Covetous. Boasters. You got any boasters out there? You know, almost like the, you know, the mainstream has almost become like WWF wrestling. 
I mean, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. It's nothing for people to curse on television. Didn't used to be that way. Young people, it didn't used to be that way. Newsflash, in case you don't know that. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. What's wrong with man? Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, lion Ted, <laughs> all kinds of things being said. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, arrogant, pseudo-intellectual types, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And the bad part is it says they're the church folk. Having a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness. Oh, we're so pious. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power, the power to be transformed, the power to live a godly life. Denying the power thereof for such, excuse me, from such, turn away. It's hypocrisy. It's, it's wickedness on every hand. Why are we like that? The book of Romans talks about this, and it gives us the reason why. Look what it says, and I, I, you can just follow along, but I'm, I'm going to uh, read. And, I, and this is a little bit of a lengthy reading, but the, I think these are worth reading. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Who, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does it mean to hold the truth in unrighteousness? You know better, but you still live unrighteously. Hold the truth in unrighteousness. America knows the Bible better than any nation. And yet, sometimes I think we, we, we live more wickedly than any nation. Because that which may be known of God is manifest to them. For God hath showed it unto them. God has shown us through creation. He has shown us himself through Jesus Christ. Philip says, Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? He says, Philip, don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Well, now, let me ask. Is, is God a nice guy? Well, Jesus was kind and loving. Does God sometimes have wrath? Well, yeah, he ran him out with a whip and turned over the tables. Uh, does God, can God heal me? Yeah, Jesus went around healing people. Is, can God do miraculous things? He walked on water. Is God righteous and holy? Jesus was found without sin, was tempted in all ways, yet found without sin. Jesus is our picture of God. Jesus has come, and he is the living, walking exemplification of and revelation of God himself. And look what it says. It's revealed, the wrath of God, because uh, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power of the Godhead, and they are without excuse. In other words, creation, and uh, even... Uh, all around us, the natural world begins to reveal to us the things about God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like unto the corruptible man and of birds and four-footed beasts. This is idolatry, creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them over to uncleanness through the loss of their own heart. And, and then it goes on in this long list, and it, and it lists all these things. And it says, to dishonor their own bodies, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, 
who's blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change their natural use, that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned with lust one towards another, and with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their own error. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know, we've kicked God out of school. We're trying to kick him off the, the front lawn uh, of the courthouse, and we've got Ten Commandments out there. Uh, we don't want to keep God. We don't want this, this irritating thing that there's a God that we've got to be accountable and will stand before one day, and he has a set of laws, and we don't, we don't want to acknowledge that. We don't want to think that there's actually going to be a reckoning one day because we don't really see any real justice in the earth today. Uh, you know, there, there's really not a lot of real justice. And, and so uh, we think that there never is going to be, but there is going to be one day. There's going to be perfect justice. And it goes on, it says... And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That means you can't discern right from wrong anymore. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, and covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, they which do such things are worthy of death. Not only the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In other words, they even celebrate them. So you say, what's wrong with man? Why do we do this stuff? Why do we hate ourselves? Why do we hate others? Why do we hate God today? What's going on? It starts out with professing to be wise. They became fools. When you begin to think that you know more than what God in his word says many times. See, Jeremiah says, and why did they do that? Because the Bible says their heart is exceedingly wicked and no man can do it, know it. Why is my heart wicked, Pastor Bill? Why, why does man act like this? Well, the Bible says because your heart is wicked. See, we're ruined by the fall. Well, didn't the Bible say that in the beginning God created man in his own image? And then a few verses down it says, then it says in all that he created was good. And, you know, he said he created the, the birds of the sky and they were good and the fish of the sea and they were good and the earth and it was good and he created man and he created all these things. And he always said after he created each sing, every single one of them, he says, and it was good. Doesn't that mean that we were originally created good, Pastor Bill? Yeah, we were. Adam and Eve were created good. But then Jeremiah says our heart is exceedingly wicked, and out of the heart proceeds all of a wicked man's heart. Many wicked things will proceed out of a wicked man's heart. And everybody's heart is in that situation. And why is our heart wicked? Because the Bible says we've been cut off from the life of God and the love of God. See, it isn't just like one day we decided to become evil. Well, I'm going to start doing bad stuff instead of good stuff. No, the Bible says that when sin comes... That we die. Something dies on the inside of us. And then the Bible says that there's a separation that takes place when we sin. We get separated from God. And God is the source of all life. And God is the source of all love. Romans says that death started by one man. Let me read from Romans 5.12. The Bible is very explicit about this. And it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, because we're born with a nature. We're born with a wicked heart. We naturally 
gravitate towards sin. How many of you know you don't have to teach your kids to fight over the toys? How many of you know you don't have to teach your kids to slap and hit one another when they want their selfish things? How many of you know you don't even have to teach your kid how to throw a fit? They just already know how. That's because of the nature that we're born with. <laughs> I know that's the way it was with our kids. Maybe not yours, yeah. But God said in the garden, don't eat of the tree, for if you eat of the tree, in other words, disobey me, sin, you, Adam, will surely die. The wages of sin is death. What is death? You know, we can look, and, and there's a lot of things. You know, the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? It says that sin is a wage, that there's wages when you commit sin. There's wages. You've got to pay for it. And then it talks about the law of sin and death in Romans 8. You know, my sister went to the University of Iowa. She was in pre-medical there. She was getting a master's degree, and she was on a pre-medical track at the University of Iowa. And they had this world-renowned biologist from France came in, and he spoke to the classes down at the university there in the medical school. And he said, our bodies are very interesting things. He said, you know, just like, you know, your, how many of you know your fingernails, they, they just keep on growing, you clip them off, and they grow back. How many of you cut your skin, it grows back together? You break your bones, they grow back together. You cut your hair, it keeps on growing. He says, you know what? He says, every single tissue in the body is self-sustaining and continually replaces itself that the body was made to never stop healing itself, fixing itself. He says, you can take every tissue in the body and it's as if we were made to never die. Now, this is a secular guy at a secular university He's no more a Christian than I'm an astronaut. And he's saying, it's very clear to us that the body was made to never die. But something has entered in, and it's not working right. And it slowly breaks down, and then it doesn't fix itself, and then you die. Isn't that interesting? We're made in the image of God. God lives forever. We'll receive a new glorified body one day, the Bible says, and we'll live forever with him. My brother-in-law, who pastors Rock Power Church in Des Moines, Iowa, had some refugees come in, and there were some families there, and, and one of them had, had a, a great-great-grandfather. He was like 103 or 104 years old, and he was on his third set of teeth. Yeah. He lost his baby teeth. And then he wore out all of his teeth and they fell out. And over time, when he hit about 100 years old, a third set started growing in. And I, immediately when my brother-in-law told me that, I thought about that biologist that my sister heard when she went to the University of Iowa. Let me tell you something, saints. We were never, to be like, we were never made to be like this. We were never meant to live in a world that everybody hated each other. We were never meant to live with all this horrible stress and hatred and sickness and sin and darkness and oppression. and, and We were never made. That's why it so ill affects us that the wages of sin is death. We die. See, death is a strange thing. We were never meant. God didn't want us to have death, but sin brought it upon us. Death really has three levels. The nature of death has three levels. In Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 18, 40, it says, The soul that sinneth shall surely die. 
We die spiritually. And spiritual death is a force. And it's evil. There's a second level to death. In James 2 and 26, it says, When the body is dead, the spirit departs. When the spirit leaves, even as when the spirit leaves the body, the body is dead. So what is that? That's a natural death. And that's an event. It's not a force. And it's final. But then in, in Revelation, it talks about a death that's very, very frightening to me. The Bible talks about three levels. How many of you know God just does things in threes? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mother, Father, Child. Uh, past, present, future. Solid, liquid, gas. Proton, neutron, electron. Uh, you know, you can go on and on and on about the Trinitarian nature of God and all of his creation. He leaves his, hand, he leaves his marks on his handiwork. There's something about triunity all throughout the scriptures. And there is three levels of death, spiritual, natural, and eternal. And there is a force and an event and an, an eternal, eternal consequence. You know, death is more than just an event, just you dropping over dead. It, it's a force. It has a nature to it. It's called evil. It has an eternal consequence to it. Let me read to you what the Bible says about this powerful thing called eternal death. And I saw a great white throne, him who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. We're in Revelation 20 and verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, and the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead that were judged out of those things were written in those books according to their works. Every single thing that you've thought, said, and done are written in those books. God's a good bookkeeper he keeps records and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead this is on judgment day which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death there's a second death whosoever name was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire so there's three types of death there's you know, we're all familiar with this. You know, when grandma gets about 90 years old or 80 years old, she dies. That's an event. But there's a force that caused that, and it's called sin. And that sin is what causes us. Sin brings death to relationships. Sin brings death to your intellect. Makes you not as smart. Sin brings death to your self-esteem. Sin will bring death to your finances. Sin brings death because it's a force. It's not just an event. It culminates first in a physical death, that's an event, but then in an eternal existence, the second death. And that's irrevocable. And that's ultimate separation from God, all that is good, all that is righteous, all that is holy. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I had an experience when I was a junior in college between my junior and senior year at Oral Roberts University. I was a theology major. I studied the Bible. I was preparing for ministry. And I started to get a little bit off course with God. God had put in my heart to go to Roberts University, Raymond Bible Training Center. And I got in my head, you know, I wanted to to get a grad school degree from an Ivy League school. And and I was getting ready and I was going to go to Princeton. and, And I had, 
applied and all these different things. And God said, that's not the direction I want you to go. And I just kind of didn't hear him. He says, well, I'll do that other stuff later. I want, to, I want one of these. And I'll never forget, after that time, I just lost my desire to go to church. I lost my desire to serve. I lost my desire. Then in the middle of the summer, between my junior and senior year, I went, worked at Pioneer Seed Corn. It was a hot summer night in my parents' old farmhouse in Montour, Iowa. I remember going to bed that night. I remember the old air conditioner running in that farmhouse in that north, southwest bedroom of our house. I can remember laying down, and just before I put my head down on the pillow, everything went into another dimension, and I left my body. And I can remember leaving my body and saying, what on earth just happened? And I can remember going straight down into the center of the earth. Let me tell you something. This is as real as you're sitting here this morning. Anybody, any preacher that tells you hell is not real, you better turn around and walk out that door. Because it's more real than this realm is. I remember leaving my body. I remember going down into like a shaft and falling straight down. And coming to a place that you don't ever want to go to. A place of complete isolation. Complete darkness. Complete depravity and horror, a place that is hopeless, a place that is evil, a place that is final, a place that's irreversible, a place that's separated, a place that's insane, and a place that's forever. It's about the, and the Bible does talk about prison cells in hell. God showed me that, and I experienced that. Because I'm a preacher, I believe God showed me this and gave me grace And all I could do is hear myself instantly go insane and scream at the top of my lungs, somebody help me. When you read weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in the Bible, that's absolutely real. And I'll never forget that day when that happened. I screamed and I cried out to God. And I cried out, somebody help me. And I heard a voice and he says, "If you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's out of the book of Hebrews. He says, if you continue walking down this path, you'll leave me. And you will spend eternity in this place. And instantly, just like a resurrection like we're talking about today, it's like I I felt and I tasted what eternal death would be like. And God took me immediately back out of that place like a resurrection. I came back up and I came back into my body. When I came into my body, what I was screaming from my spirit man started coming out of my mouth. And I woke up everybody in our house because everybody had gone to bed. That's a real event, and it's a real thing, and there's a real hell, and there's a real consequence because our sin is real, and our sin really does separate us from God. Don't ever forget that. So number one, why is mankind like this? Because his heart is wicked. Why is his heart wicked? Because he sinned. Why? What happened as a result of sin? We've become spiritually dead. Death has three phases. Death is a separation and a force from God. I mean, a separation from God and a force of evil. It is an event when you die physically, but it's an eternal existence, death is, when it's after you physically die. Number two, so the the, the point number one about the story of Easter is that we were ruined by the fall, and we have a fallen nature. Number two, 
ruined by the fall, and we are condemned by the law of God. You're saying, well, this isn't very uplifting. Well, wait, we're, going, we're coming to a good place here in just a minute. But if you don't understand these things, you can't understand why Jesus had to die. If you don't understand this, you'll never understand why the resurrection is such a glorious thing. If you don't understand that, you'll never understand how great is his forgiveness. The second part of the Easter story is this. We were condemned by the law. Exodus 20, 1 through 17. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Yeah, but don't ask me to name them all, Pastor Bill. Not in front of anybody, anyway. Well, we know the Ten Commandments. There's four about God, you know, uh, about no uh, idols and not using his name in vain and, uh, you know, uh, not having any other gods before him. And then there's, one, there's six more, and it's about our, our horizontal relationship. The first one is our vertical relationship, uh, the first four. Then the last six are the ones that are horizontal, like, you know, don't steal from your neighbor, don't kill your neighbor, na- don't murder your neighbor, uh, don't cover your neighbor's wife, don't commit adultery, don't lie and, and, and murder and all these different things. And and that's God's moral law. There's a ceremonial law, and it's all the different types of sacrifices, which really are a picture and a typology and a shadow of Christ. But then there's a moral law. God holds us accountable to a moral law. And it's all these things. You say, well, I never killed anybody. Well, the Bible says if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. I never committed adultery. Well, if you've lost in your heart, you're an adulterer. Well, I'm not a thief. Well, if you took a pencil home from work, you've stolen something. Well, I've never, I'm not a liar. Well, if you just omitted to tell 10% of the truth, you're a liar. Notice that it's not the ten rules, it's, the ten, it's, it's the, called the law of God, the ten commandments. But it's called the law of God. How many of you know there's a difference between a rule and a law? There's a rule out here to go 25 miles an hour. But how many of you know there's a law about gravity that you can't change? See, God doesn't call it the ten rules. These are his laws, the law of God. Everybody say the law of God. You know, men make little rules about how fast you've got to drive and Men, you know, I, I'm up there, I lobby a lot up at the, at the Capitol, and, and I go there about plan parent, defunding Planned Parenthood. I go up there about, you know, different things about marriage, and I, I go up and I, I lobby about things with the family leader. And, and, you know, that, and, I, and you quickly begin to see there's a difference between man-made rules and eternal God-made laws. There's a law about marriage. There's a law about abortion. There's a law about a lot of things, regardless what little rules and little laws and policy making and legislation that men come up with. There's eternal laws that if you violate. How many of you know the law of gravity can work for you or it can end up killing you? Don't jump off the top of the church unless you have a trampoline someplace. But I'm going to tell you something. The law of God is the law. It's the eternal law. It's the way it is, like Larry Potterfield on his you know, commercials, he always says, and that's the way it is. Probably you don't know who Larry Potterfield is, but he always says that in his commercials, and I think, you know what, that's good, I like that. And, you know, it says that man was not held to account of sin until there was a law. Law has a purpose, and we're condemned by his law, but... We're going to talk about that just for a moment. Romans 5 and 13, look what it says. And I, I like this. This is really powerful. I'm going to read it out of 26 translations because it, it even makes it more interesting. Romans 5 and 13, I'm going to read. It says this. For before the law was given by Moses, there was sin in the world. To be sure, sin was in the world earlier than the law. The next verse says, but sin is not reckoned against the sinner when there is no law forbidding it. But sin cannot be charged against a man where no law exists. 
Though I suppose, technically speaking, it was not sin where there was no law to define it. See, there was a point where God gave a law because God, in his love and his mercy, said, okay, man has become sinful. Adam and Eve ate of the tree, and now I've got to show them that what they're doing is good. How many of you know Billy Graham said this one time? It's not so hurtful to sin as it is, as, as it is, uh, it's not so hurtful to sin as much as sin is so hurtful to you. And that's why God says, don't do it. Don't do it because it's really going to hurt you. You're the one that's going to get messed up when you sin. And, 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 and he said that. And, you know, I can remember, uh, in other words, man's not held account for his sin until God reveals the law. And we think, oh, the law is a bad thing. Oh, don't put the law on me. Well, you're being heavy. And, and don't, you know, don't lay down the law on me. I, I remember one time when I was in Tulsa. And I was so glad, and this is a great example. I went down there, and I went to a conference, and, and I was driving through Tulsa, and I was talking away on my cell phone, just talking along, and all of a sudden I saw red lights behind me. How many of you know it's not a good feeling when you see flashing red lights? It wasn't my brake lights. It was a police officer. And I got pulled over, and he says, I saw you drive by, and he, and he says, and the cell phone's right there in your hand talking. It's still in your hand. You know, I just, I just set it to the side. I go, yeah, I know it is. And he looked at me and says, well, don't you know that's illegal in Oklahoma? And I said, no, I'm from Iowa. And man, I thought, oh, no, am I in trouble. And, but, you know, this police officer, he was really a nice guy. He, he laid the law down on me, but because I didn't know any better, he said, I'm going to let you off because you're from Iowa. And you don't know any better. He was really a nice guy. But he laid the law down on me. He pulled me over. He arrested me in my madness. <laughs> I mean, it's so bad to talk on a phone, right? But anyway, that's one of those rules of men. And, you know, God's purpose for the law is very similar to that. I had, I had no idea. I didn't know I was breaking the law. You know, Paul said in Romans 7, he says, I was alive unto God once. Then the law came, and then I died. Well, he didn't die physically. He died spiritually. How many of you know there's an age of accountability when you're, when you're a person? How many of you know there comes a time where your kids don't even know they're sinning, but then you spank them a few times, you teach them, and then all of a sudden, now you can hold them accountable for it, right? They just naturally do it. Then you've got to correct them. You've got to train them, and then you can hold them accountable. We just naturally want to sin, but God gives the law so he can hold us accountable, so he can show us that we are sinful. Romans 3.20 says that God gave the law so that all men will be humbled and know. So God laid down his law. He gave us the Ten Commandments. You can look over there in Romans, and you can see that God laid down the law. Look what what it says over there in Romans. And I'm just going to read. Oh, I'm in the book of Acts. No wonder it doesn't look right. And I, I, I like this. And this, this is really a powerful portion of Scripture. It says, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. It says who's, that they are, their throat is an open sepulcher and their tongue is filled with deceit. And he says, all these things. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Man naturally is ruined by the fall. He naturally is spiritually dead. He naturally has a wicked heart. You can't help it. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do about it. You're that way. I'm that way. Billy Graham's that way. Mother Tressa's that way. Till you get born again. He says, now, 
We know that the things whatsoever the law saith is saith to them who are under the law, and that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. God wants us to know we're guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight. Well, wait a minute. He wants us to know that we're guilty, but by doing the law, we can't be justified and made right. See, the interesting thing about the Bible is a lot of people think, well, if I can just keep the Ten Commandments, I'll be saved and go to heaven, and God will put me on a big measuring scale, and he'll say, wow, you did more good than you did bad, so we're going to let you into heaven. Or God gave the Ten Commandments, so if we would just live by them, we'd be good enough to be saved. How many of you know the Bible doesn't teach any sort of thing? The Bible doesn't teach any such thing. The Bible says that man sinned, and he died and got separated from God, and God loved him so much but he had to show him how sinful he was so that he would pay attention and recognize that he needed a savior. He didn't give him the Ten Commandments, so, oh, now I've got the rules, I live by them, and I'll be saved. How many of you know that's completely wrong, yet many people in America think that? It's a completely wrong concept. He gave the law so that mouths would be shut and realize that they're sinners. He gave the law so that we would recognize our need. And he says, because no flesh will be justified by keeping the law. Nobody can be saved by keeping the law. Even if you could keep it, how many of you know, you'd still be spiritually dead and separated from God and still have a wicked heart because you died spiritually. See, you don't need to become just suddenly able to keep the law. You need to be changed from the inside out. You need to get rid of your wicked heart, which every one of us have. And what does it say? You can look there and you can see that the reason why is because we've got this, this wicked heart. And I believe this. We've all broken the Ten Commandments. But God shows us that we're sinners so that we can come to sorrow and we'll repent. I'll never forget, uh, when I was at Oral Roberts University, there was a guy, and he was from Texas. His dad was from Midland, Texas. He used to golf with George Bush. He was a kid that uh, kind of grew up in a really privileged home. His name was Steve Underwood. Uh, he went on to Texas A&M to graduate school and I think the law school. And he was, he was just a, one of those kind of kids that I don't think he ever had to really... He kind of was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever know anybody like that? Just kind of everything. And he kind of would say things to people and he didn't have a lot of sensitivity. I'll never forget... One time, he was talking about another guy's girlfriend. But what he didn't know is that guy was standing right outside the door of the dorm room. And he says, oh, she, I don't know why he goes out there. She's so ugly. I'm thinking. And he says, I wouldn't date her. She's a dog. And we're all sitting there like, we can't believe we're here. What he doesn't know is that guy's, that girl's boyfriend was standing right outside the door and heard every bit of it. How many of you know he didn't feel any remorse until that boyfriend stepped in the door and said, Wow, Steve, it's really nice to know how you really feel about my girlfriend, my fiance. How many of you know suddenly conviction came? suddenly he realized he had broken the law of love. Suddenly he got the epiphany, newsflash, I need to ask for some forgiveness here. 
That's the way we are. We just kind of keep on going down a road thinking, oh, well, no big consequences here. And then the law comes. Poof. Man, if I've lusted, I'm an adulterer. If I've hated somebody, I'm a murderer. Murders and adulterers and sorcerers have, no, have their place in the lake of fire. Wow, how many know the law is a wake-up call? It's making us realize, ooh, I need to ask somebody forgiveness here. Oh, I've broken some laws here. I've broken the law of love. See, Galatians 3.24 says that the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. How does it do that? The law of God, the Ten Commandments, show us that we're sinful. And if you're sinful, you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you need a Savior. And that's why the law shows us that we're sinful, that we're sinners. And sinners need saviors, the Bible says. And the Bible says that God gave us the law not because he hates us, because he loves us enough to bring us to ourselves. You know, Mike, my other buddy could have walked away and never confronted Steve Underwood, but he stepped in there and he confronted him like, what are you doing talking about my fiancé like that? He loved him enough to not let him go on making a fool of himself in front of everybody. Can I get an Amen. Because we all know, man, you're making a fool of yourself talking about somebody's girlfriend like that. And thank God somebody arrested him from his madness, from his foolishness, talking like that. You get hurt talking like that. <laughs> I just the law was given because God loves us and he's a tutor that leads us to Christ. Okay, so number one, we have sinned. And died spiritually. Man is ruined by the fall. Number two, we've been condemned as a sinner and shown our need for a savior. How? Through the law of God. You know, a lot of people just teach, oh, Jesus is just so good. Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus loves you. And then then you think, well, yeah, it's just optional. No, Jesus is your savior and you're a sinner and you need him. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the resurrection. That brings me to my third point this morning. The third point is this. The third stage of the Easter story is this, that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and they that come to me will live forever. And that we're saved by his love through the death of the, and the cross and the resurrection. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God, that God commanded his love towards us while we were yet sinners in that Christ died for us on the cross. See, when you look at this, this whole business of the death, burial, and resurrection, the, the Bible says that is the gospel. Now, let, me, let me just turn, and I'll read to you 1 Corinthians 15.1. The gospel is Jesus dying and raising from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. This, this is very simply, this is the gospel. This is the good news, but why is it the good news, Pastor Bill? I'm going to tell you in just a moment. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. There it is right there. I declare unto you the gospel. Well, what is it? Which I have preached unto you, which I also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and was buried that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Two distinct 
declarations there, that Christ died and was buried. Secondly, he rose from the dead. And the first one, the death of Jesus, is a judicial element with God. Romans says the wages of sin is death. There is a wage for our sins. Somebody had to die. Somebody's going to have to die for all these sins. The books in heaven are filled with the record of every man's sins. There's, I'm sorry to tell you, your sins never go away by themselves. They're always held on record. They never go away until Christ's blood gets applied. And the ways of sin is death. Jesus, he was the one who died. And it says, Christ died for our sins. First John, it says, my little children, I write these things unto you that you might sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. That's like a lawyer. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation of our sins, and not only of our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus took care of everybody's sins. And now you have to receive it. Propitiation, that's, that, that's a big, scary, theological-sounding word. Propitiation just means the satisfying of justice and judgment. He satisfied justice and judgment when Jesus went and died on the cross. And it says that if we have... Sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ righteous, who is the propitiation of our sins. He's the satisfying of judgment. God is no longer mad. His wrath has been quenched. The justice, the high courts of heaven have been satisfied. The fine has been paid. The punishment has been made. And it has been taken care of. The sin issue has been dealt with. And we no longer have to receive justice for our sins unless we refuse the free gift. Can I get an amen? That's the unique thing about Christianity. That's the unique thing about Easter. That's what the story of the cross is. This is the threefold story that, number one, we're sinful and we can't do nothing about it. Number two, the law charges us guilty as charged. You do, you're, you're guilty and the wages of sin is death, and so there's a death sentence on you unless you understand that Christ died for your sins. He paid for your punishment. He was the substitutionary, vicarious replacement on the behalf of the whole world for mankind. Like the first Adam got us all into this mess. The second Adam gets us all out of this mess. Aren't you glad? It wasn't my fault that Adam sinned, yeah? And it's, not your, and, and it's nothing you can do. And Jesus gets us all out of that sin. Hallelujah. God is just. Amen. And see, that is, we're cleansed, it says. But you know what? We're more than cleansed. There's a whole bunch of things, and we're going to finish with this verse of Scripture. And you can turn there if you want. It's in Ezekiel 36. And I'm going to turn there, and it's a powerful Scripture. And it's about the prophet Ezekiel talking prophetically in advance about the covenant of Jesus and the resurrection. And he says, these are the benefits. The second half the raising from the dead. Now, we, got, we finally did We said all that to get to this this morning. Now we're going to talk about the resurrection. Now we're going to talk about the main thing, the main deal, the whole point of Easter, the raising from the dead. See, he had to be put to death because there was a death sentence. He had to do it on our behalf for us because we didn't qualify as righteous. And... It said the blood of bulls and the blood of goats wasn't good enough. They couldn't be shed. You know, Israel, they would kill all the sacrifices. They would kill the goats. They would kill the bulls. They would kill the lambs. And they shed the blood. And the sins were forgiven for one year. And that was called atonement. That was just temporary. That was just a picture. That was just pointing to Christ's sacrifice. 
Christ died for all of our sins. He's our advocate. He's on our behalf. He's the one, no longer the bull and the sheep. He's the real guy whose blood has completely cleansed us and taken us out. Amen. But then the second part, the victory. This is the victory part. Ezekiel talked about that. He says, then will I sprinkle you clean with water upon you. And you, We're in Ezekiel, I'm sorry, 36 and 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you. Oh, why did we say man is so wicked? Because man has a wicked heart. Why does man have a wicked heart? Because he's separated from God. Why is he separated from God? Because he died spiritually. Why did he die spiritually? Because he sinned. And God says, I'll give you a new heart. You know, it wouldn't do any good if he just forgave us of our sins, because if you've got a wicked heart, you'll just keep on sinning anyway. You'll still have a nature that wants to sin. Now, I still sin as Christian. Well, we have a nature that wants to do right when you get saved, amen? We still mess up and sin, but it isn't our desire. In other words, even when you do it, you, you, you hate it. You feel the thing called conviction. That's how you know you're saved. And you see, what happens then is he says, and I will sprinkle clean upon you. Then he goes in, all this stuff, he says, and I, a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Words, he's going to literally cause us to have a new heart. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Everybody say new creature. A new creation. Old things are passed away. That's your old sinful nature, your old sinful heart. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what the resurrection does. The resurrection gives victory. And then you get rid of your old sinful heart, you get a new, righteous, holy, want-to-do-good heart. And then he says, and then I'll put my spirit in there with you. So now you have the passing away of old, the incoming of new. You've got the forgiveness of sins. And now you have the Holy Spirit who's called our helper in there to help you to live and walk righteously. And he says, and the law of God will be written on your heart. And when you walk in love, you won't fulfill any of the other commandments. I mean, yeah. You won't break them, I should say. You won't break any of the other commandments. Because if you walk in love, how many of you won't murder somebody? How many of you walk in love, you won't covet your neighbor's wife? How many of you walk in love, you won't steal? How many of you walk in love, you won't do all these things? He gives you one law, and it's the law of love, and it fulfills all laws. And it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart when we're born again. When old has gone away, the new has come in, the Holy Spirit, our helper, comes and lives within with us, and then all of a sudden, we are transformed. And That's what the Bible says the victory is. And it says that if we don't have Jesus raising from the dead, because he conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave through being our substitute. He never sinned, but he died for all of our sins. And because he never committed any of those sins, he couldn't stay dead. Because Jesus never committed any sins, he could die for ours, but he couldn't stay dead because there had never been, you know, the ways of sin is death. If he never committed any sins, then there can't, death can't stay on him. Can I say, can you get a, give me an amen this morning? And I'll say this, that that's, that's, a, that's a concept that sometimes we overlook, that Jesus never sinned. And so sin couldn't hold him down. So therefore, death couldn't hold him down. Therefore, the grave couldn't hold him down. Therefore, he had a resurrection from the grave. Therefore, he has victory over death, 
hell, and the grave. And that's what Paul said. And he says, and if, if we don't, whoa, if we, don't pre- if we preach and we don't say anything about the resurrection, then our preaching is all in vain because everything rests upon, if, Je- you know, if Jesus is victor and conqueror over death, hell, and the grave, how many know he can conquer anything else? You know, if you, you shoot him dead and he gets back up, how are you going to conquer a guy like that? How are you going to conquer a guy you can't kill? How are you going to conquer a guy that's going to live forever? How are you going to conquer a guy that's never sinned, that you can't hold anything on him, and you can't condemn him of anything, and you can't convict him of anything? How are you going to defeat that? That's defeating death, hell, and the grave. That's defeating sin. That's who Jesus is. That's who he has given himself for, and that's how he presents himself to us, that we can join in in that victory this morning. Let's stand up, and let's be dismissed this morning. But first of all, I want to ask you something. Have you received that Jesus Christ into your heart? Have you recognized, have you recognized that really you're a sinner? Have you recognized maybe that you're spiritually dead and separated from God? Have you recognized that your sin separates you and you die spiritually? And you'll die physically but you don't want to be dead eternally in the second death. And have you recognized the law of God has convicted you and found you guilty and there's a punishment and it's that death? Have you come to realize this morning that you're condemned to a devil's hell if you have not received the free gift? And let me say this morning, it's a free gift. Whosoever will, let him come drink of the water. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. How many of you want to know for sure that you're saved today? I'm going to ask everybody who knows that you're saved, who absolutely knows for sure that you're saved, to sit back down. If there's anybody here and you're not sure, you're not sure. you're not sure, I want you to raise your hand right now. If you're not sure, or this morning, you want to make absolutely sure that you're right with God. I'm just going to ask you, I just want to pray for you. If this morning, you sat down, but you're saying, but you know, Pastor, I've kind of gotten away from the things of God. Pastor, I I don't know that I really understood it like the way you preached it this morning till today. And maybe I ought to just go ahead and make that commitment today. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you quickly to raise your hand if there's anybody here like that. If not, that's all right. We'll rejoice and believe and thank God that you have already received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. 